Recapacite y piensa Que la vida es una ciencia Trata de vivirla con cordura y decencia Ten paciencia Hey, this is Music Sucks and I Want to Die. My name is Jake. I'm Matt. Welcome to a great episode. Yeah, baby. We got some good music for you today. That's right. We're only doing music we like today. Wasn't that a fucking concept? We're talking about music that actually makes us happy. Wow. I wonder if we've ever done that before. I don't know, dude, but I'm uh, I'm going to be into it. I'll tell you that. Let's get going. All right. So you're first, right? I'm first. All right. Who do you got for us? Well, some people know her as an actress. Some know her as a model. Some know her as a singer of one of the most famous bands. Some people even think he's a German man. <laughs> <laughs> that would be me in case you listeners don't know. I don't think I, don't think I said he was German. <laughs> yeah, I thought you said something like that. Anyway. I, maybe I did, I don't know. Anyway, we are talking about Nico. Nico. A German woman born in Germany <laughs> in 1938. Nico is a weird case because... She, the thing she's most well known for, she wasn't uh, originally part of, and actually there was a lot of tension in that group, and she only got to that point because of her association with certain people, namely Andy Warhol. But before we start, she, uh, like I said, born in 1938. She, as a teenager, did some modeling and acting in Berlin before moving to New York in her early 20s, where she also started singing, like jazz standards at lounges. But while there, she met people like Bob Dylan and Jim Morrison and Brian Jones of the Rolling Stones, who introduced her to Andy Warhol. So at this time, Andy Warhol had just started managing the Velvet Underground, and they were recording their first album. So Andy insisted that they have Nico join on the album, which was actually not wanted by the band members whatsoever, oh, which really? is kind of interesting. But interesting. he ended up getting his way. So she sang lead on three songs and backup vocals on one song. That's how she got her start in sort of the music business and became famous for. I'm not really going to talk about any of that because I think it's more Velvet Underground. Yeah. So we're going to go start with post-Velvet Underground, Nico. Her first solo album after that was called Chelsea Girl in 1967. She had a cast of musicians, some like members of the Velvet Underground, uh, Jackson Brown, Tim Buckley, all recorded with her. Um, this album is a lot different than anything else she ever did. It's I guess I'd call it like chamber folk kind of stuff. And it's not really my favorite, but there's really nice songs on it, including right. this first one we're going to listen to. All right. This is actually a Jackson Brown tune that he wrote for her and later recorded himself. But I think, I believe she recorded it first. And this is called These Days. Uh, 
That's a nice, pretty song. It is very it? nice. <laughs> so you can immediately tell kind of like the era this was recorded and based oh, on the yes. panning of the string parts. Oh, I know. Yeah. Um, dare I say somewhat Beatles-esque. It is extremely Beatles-esque. Uh, I don't love this album on its whole. There's a lot of kind of like meh stuff <laughs> on that. Most of the production's weird. Um, but also I think it's cool. The, this really starts, I think, uh, the juxtaposition of her voice with other things like just it makes her voice so interesting to me um you don't hear it so much in the velvet underground but especially in her solo career it's like she's got a very unique yeah not like great voice but it's got such like character and personality yeah, i wouldn't even i wouldn't i wouldn't say it was bad at all for sure no yeah. she apparently was actually like partially deaf and <laughs> there's there's moments you'll hear where she's like oh, it's not quite in tune <laughs> um which you know it's the 60s and yeah that's gonna happen uh but uh, I, I don't know. I really like this song. It's just like just a really pretty song. I like her voice on it. Uh, the Jackson Brown guitar work is really cool. Yeah, strings are a little weird. <laughs> I, I don't know. I I like them. They're they're fine. Yeah. Um, so I forget the producer on this, but he's the one that like arranged all the strings and stuff. Yeah, yeah, and so apparently Nico hated this. She like didn't want any of the strings. The songs are like flutes, and like she said, it made her cry when she heard the flutes because she like hated it so much. (laughs) Um, So it's kind of interesting. And she also didn't write any of the songs in this album. So this was uh, her first step into her solo career, but uh, not what she would end up doing by a long shot. Although it's got some little gems like that song. But after that, we get into 1969, her second album, The Marble Index, which in my opinion is her greatest album. Okay. So this is when she first started teaming up with John Cale as a producer. For those who don't know, like Jake, John Cale <laughs> was in the Velvet Underground. I did not and know that. He, right. he played keys and viola and bass for them. And he really brought sort of the like kind of modern classical experimentation into the Velvet Underground, okay. which he went on to explore a lot more in his own music and especially as a producer for Nico. That sounds tight. So this is, like I said, two years later, the Marble Index. We're going to try Lawns of Dawn. So this, to me, I think is like the perfect fit for her voice. It's sort of folk. Yeah. And like her melody. So, oh yeah, I should say. So on this album, she wrote all the uh, lyrics and the music. I mean, not like yeah, the not parts. Yeah, not the weird the production. Shit, um, yeah. This was after Jim Morrison, actually. I guess they were banging for a while. And he was like, hey, you should just write your own shit since you didn't like that first album so much. And so she went and got a harmonium. And for like pretty much the rest of her career, she wrote all her music on a harmonium. 
That's weird. It's really cool though. Yeah. I, I so it's all these like kind of folky instruments happening, and like I said, Kale with like the violas and piano, yeah, and, like yeah. the things and like the that. Bell textures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's super cool, and it just it's so creepy. It's <laughs> tight. Yeah. It fits. I don't know. Like, yeah. The only thing holding time is the like harmonium mm-hmm, back there. Yeah. yeah. It's very dark. It's almost like. I mean, there's a lot of things leading into, like, goth, but this is a big one, I think, and the album cover is really cool. Uh, in Chelsea Girl, she's blonde and just looks like a model, and this one, black hair, a bunch of eyeliner, it's all black and white, she looks kind of spooky. Okay. Uh, I don't I love this whole album, it all has that kind of mood, you, like, put it on, and you have to sit there and just kind of, like... Damn. I'm, I feel sad now. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> you gotta get into their mood, yeah. Uh, but the other thing, her voice, and I think John Cale really got it. Um, I don't know how their collaboration really went, more or less. I don't know if she just did some shit and he was like, I'm going to do bing, bing, bops on top of it. <laughs> or not. <laughs> uh, but they would go on to collaborate for two more albums after this. And it kind of kept the theme going. Um, the next one, 1970s Desert Shore, the next year. Similar, I think a little more refined. Um, it also had like really pretty music on it. This one's called My Only Child. Oh, My only child, be not so blind, see what you hold. There are no words, no ears, no eyes, to show them what you know. Their hands are old. Their faces cold, their bodies close to freezing, their feelings find the morning smile. Nice. That's pretty. Uh, I don't know. I just. Late 60s, there's a lot of weird stuff happening, but I think she just has a sort of unique sound in all of this. Totally. Very weird voice. Yeah. Also, like, a very kind of peculiar accent, too. I don't think you get a lot of German singing in English. Yes. And that yeah. kind, of, kind of contributes to it, to me, at least. Mm-hmm. I think um, the next album, I'm not going to play it, but she, I think it's like a German national anthem or something. She, like, kind of reworks, and it's... In German, <laughs> uh, really cool though. Really okay. cool. Uh, she's, yeah, you know, I mean, she's basically like a tall model, like super thin and beautiful and like icy. And I think you just kind of like get that in the music and yeah, even something like kind of pretty like that. Minimal production, obviously, mm-hmm. just like kind of makes you makes you feel something. <laughs> my God, <laughs> don't know what that is. <laughs> it's there somewhere. Uh, the last one I want to play. Her next album was four years later. This is called The End. Oh. Tribute to Jim Morrison, who died. And like I said, they was boning. They was boning. Uh, this album actually has Brian Eno and Phil Manzanera on it, who were both in Roxy Music at the time. Okay. But still, John Cale production. Um, I'm going to play her cover of The End, The Doors song. The End. This one I'm going <laughs> to... This one I'm going to let roll for a minute. Uh, but this is sort of... More, uh, I'm just gonna play it. We're gonna go <laughs> describe it afterwards. Yeah, describe it after. Yeah, there we go. There we go. Boys, 
For dawn, he put his boots on. He took a face from the ancient gallery, and he walked on down the hall. He went to the room where his sister lived, and then he paid a visit to his brother. And then he. He walked on down the hall, and he came to a door, and he looked inside. Father. Yes, son. Kill you. Mother, I want to. No, that's fucking fat. And here's what I really like about it is you're going to take this concept, right? of a somewhat like dark album, right? Mm -hmm. And thematics. And you're not going to just sit there with a goddamn acoustic guitar and like tell the story. You're going to get nitty gritty with prepared piano, extended techniques, fucking around with giant fret noise on guitar with a weird harmonium pad in the background. You go, basically what I'm trying to say is like, she's going the extra mile to really make her theme fit she's committing to it I as think so. hard as possible and that's uh-huh. really respectable and it sounds amazing it sounds really cool i love you know doing this sort of like jim morrison who's you know, like obviously like the cool sexy guy yeah. and he's like up on stage and like oh like his delivery is awesome but i love how just like flat nico's is yeah yeah it adds sort of a different kind of ta- uh, edge or take on this song I mean, obviously, so much different than the Doors is. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, especially at that point where that groove just kicked in, that was like 745 or something like that. So the Damn. whole first bit is just very... So we skipped like six minutes. Oh, we did. Okay. I mean, you know, it, it's actually, there's a little bit... place I started as a, actually more of a, like a dip and gotcha. stuff. Okay. But it's very sparse and creepy and things like that. And That's super interesting. It's I like her stuff a lot. It's creepy. It's cool. She's yeah. got a weird voice. John Cale did weird stuff. yeah. 
Yeah, that, that's weird. He's he, <laughs> he's a weird dude. Yeah, he's, a, he's a fucking weird guy. It's funny. Maybe maybe one day we'll talk about the Velvet Underground and the different paths they all took. Maybe because they all went in very strange directions yeah. after that first album. Yeah, Andy Warhol. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, that's a uh, yeah. It's an interesting band. As it turns out, they're number four on of all time. Hey, on the top 100 rock albums list by really you. yeah i did not know that yeah yeah everyone go listen to our yeah, last where can episode I, where can i learn more about that? Just, <laughs> if you follow music sucks and i want to die on youtube facebook or wherever the fuck else you find podcasts i don't even know what we're on anymore and you'll find our last episode and that little tiny snippet will be on there you know actually i noticed too uh desert shore the the my only child song that i played a second ago that mm-hmm. album was like number nine on his list oh wow yeah. No. Well, depending on which list we're looking yeah, at I don't, don't fucking <laughs> knows. Anyway, I guess I'll end it on the end there. Oh. What you got for us, Jake? God, I don't have any shitty puns. I'll tell you that <laughs> shit right now. Oh, my God. So the first band I'm talking about today is a Cuban band, modern salsa timba band called Havana de Primera. That sounds primo, my guy. Oh, it is primo as fuck. So basically the story behind these guys, they're a Cuban band. They're a... Uh, Super duper badass, very aggressive rhythmically and harmonically and everythingly. And it's just so awesome. We're gonna take a quick listen and kind of show you what I mean. Uh, this first song is called Pami Gente and it's off their 2013 album, Pasaporte. coolest songs about Japanese animated porn I've ever heard in my life. Oh, wow, dude. What a fucking funny joke this guy has. Oh, my God. Didn't you already make a shitty pun this episode? Yeah, but it wasn't when we were recording. Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah, so I'm not even going to pay that any lip service. So, (laughs) like the hentai that you want. (laughs) It's really hot in here, guys. I'm losing it. Oh, my God. So this has been Music Sucks and I Want to Die. No, uh, so basically that track is super badass. For the short description of what Themba is, it's a type of salsa, pretty modern, that incorporates a lot of different elements into it. It's got some hip-hop. It's got, obviously, a lot of jazz. It's got um, all kinds of influences going on. There's a drum set in it on, like, a lot of salsa. Mm. Shitload of percussion. Just huge band. This band is a 17-piece. Jesus. I don't know how the fuck they tour. Don't get it. But, like... They're super rad, and uh, obviously they have lots of ideas floating around. Their sound is very thick, and what I really, really like about them is they really go for everything. They go 
in all places at all times. You know what I mean? I did love that intro and like the bass doing it too. Yeah, it was like, it was so tight, dude. Like, uh-huh. just, mm. You think that shit was lined up? No, but they're, they're, no, they're that good, dude. I promise. Nice, nice. All right, so we're going to play another track here. It kind of shows off their, uh, kind of hip hoppiness and like just more of their more of the influences they bring in from everywhere and just how fucking tight is of a band they are everything's locked in with each other <clears throat> all right this is called pastilla de menta and matt's gonna pull it up Nico influence in <laughs> Wow, you think they? <laughs> uh, what, what year is this? Yeah. Uh, I think this is 2015. I was gonna say this is like better jazz playing than a lot of modern jazz bands. I've no, heard. Yeah, dude. No, dude. They, like they have like a fat groove, dude. They had a yeah. little bit of swing going on. Yeah, those horn lines are like they're fired. They're dude. cool. They're I now have to go back listening. There was one where they kind of like back phrase just like a hint or something, oh, yeah, but like dude. did it so. Mm. Yeah. No, they're so, yeah. very tasteful. Yeah, and it's it's very nice. They incorporate so many different elements so well. And again, they just still have their very own style. You know, they're very aggressive and all this stuff, mm-hmm. and they're very cool. And uh, yeah, I guess we'll just move right on to the next track. And this next one's going to showcase how far they stretch another concept of like rhythm. Oh, like, before though. Oh, what do you got? That fucking fat ass synth. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, bam, bam. That yeah, was yeah. so cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's super good. They just, they just do whatever the fuck they want, dude. It's like, you know what sounds really cool right here? A fat, dirty synth from like the 60s. Yeah. Dope. All dope. right. So the next track uh, is going to showcase kind of like how far they take like certain aspects of the rhythm. Like they go super out. Like I challenge you to fucking follow one in this next section. Try and find the downbeat. It's fucked up. This next song's. Me habló de que había escuchado comentario entre la gente. Que Habana de primera se coló rápidamente Que nadie entiende el porqué de mi sabor elegante Y que muchos se disgustan porque yo no soy cantante Le dije no, tengo miedo y voy camino a la cima Lo que digan por ahí me levanta la autoestima Pero vale tu consejo y le pediré a mis guías Que me limpien el camino Va a seguir la profecía, nadie sabe nada, nadie sabe nada. Vaya, anda. I had to leave it in there just so you could hear the pan flute on the chorus because it's so stupid that I love it. So yeah, that's fucking ridiculous. I mean, I was pretty much following along perfectly the whole yeah, time. Yeah, of course. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. know what your problem is. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I've listened to it 800 times. I can do it now. <laughs> <laughs> All 
But yeah, it's absolutely <laughs> filthy. like a Seattle man playing that song. <laughs> I'd actually rather be dead. I'd rather be dead than try this night. They came through Seattle not too long ago. I was yeah. really sad I couldn't go. Yeah, it's too bad. Yeah. Uh, they're really awesome. I, I don't know how much more I have to say about them because we pretty much said it all, but like... They cool. They cool. They tight. They're modern. They're yeah. hip. They yeah. play better jazz than like Chris Potter. Yeah. <laughs> and they're loud as fuck and they're cool. Yeah. Unlike Chris Potter. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So uh, we're just going to leave you with one more track here. Uh, this one is off a live album from a Latin American festival in Italy, of all places. So uh, enjoy Cuando el Rio Suena. Chuck Mangione played salsa. Uh -huh. Although it's funny you say that because this is not related at all. But the lead singer is also the trumpet player in that. Really? Band. Yeah. Alexander Abreu. No Abreu. shit. Yeah. That's he's, pretty badass. Yeah. Dude. What he's good at is playing really fucking loud and really fucking high. I mean, I did not hate that. And I usually hate everything a trumpet player I, does. I know, dude. It's got a little bit of Arturo Sandoval in there. Mm -hmm. That's dope. It's, yeah. It's, cool. it's filthy. So, yeah. They're super badass. Lots of jazz influence. This whole track is awesome, although it is 20 minutes long. I don't know if we listen to 20 minute songs. I mean, I do. <laughs> but like, it's, it's really oh, long. It seems a 20 minute song. That's right. Someone's really cool over here. Yeah, it's exactly. Oh God, it's really fucking hot in this apartment right now. It's just for those at home. Uh, How caliente. Ooh. For our. Fuego. <laughs> que fuego. No, uh, so this is at a Latin American festival in Italy and I'm going to point out this joke real fast because I hate myself that this uh, intro, you know, could be regarded as a Tarantella because it gradually gets faster. And they're in Italy, and it's funny. If you don't get that joke, it's okay because it's not funny, and it's and also not really a joke. No, it's also it's really stupid. And I um, that's why I stick with the puns a little more. 
Lowbrow for our audience. Yeah, yeah. Oh, what? Damn! <laughs> oh, no. Okay. Yeah, so I'm uh, pretty Shout much... Shout out to Ben, who's listening. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, we have a fucking... Uh, yeah, so I'm fucking done with this band. This is uh, on the Primera. Go listen to them. They're awesome. Good luck finding that live album. I It took me, like, three years to find, and I had to get it from, like, some guy. Well, if you really want it, you could always just leave a comment on our Facebook post, That's and Jake right. will send it to you. Goddamn right. All right. And maybe he'll send you a little surprise as well. Where are you going with that? Something pomihente? <laughs> nope. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We're fucking... I'm done. It's your fucking turn. Who do you got? Well, continuing on my creepy music theme, especially after what you just listened to. Okay. Which wasn't creepy. I don't know where I was going with that. That was, didn't work enough. <gasps> I, of course, am going to be talking about a film composer who would be way too much to talk about in this small episode. So I had to narrow it down a little bit to this particular film composer's horror films, specifically to his horror films with one director, specifically to the perhaps greatest three movie run that this director has had or perhaps of all time. The J.J. Abrams Star Trek films? They're, they're scary to me, dude. <laughs> Who does the music for those? I don't fucking know, dude. <laughs> I am talking... I think it's Michael Giacchino. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. Anyway, continue. I, of course, am talking about Bernard Armand. Oh, of course. Famous, famous film composer from the 1940s through, I think he died in like 75 or something. Uh, and I'm talking specifically because this man did... So many films and movie, uh, TV shows and a bunch of other shit, too. Um, but I'm talking going to talk specifically about his work with Alfred Hitchcock, which he is most known for. And I'm talking about three movies that Hitchcock did in a row, which are considered probably like some of the greatest thriller horror films of all time. Um, so Herman was born in New York City, 1911. His father was a musician, really into music, got him into it at a young age, ended up going to NYU and Juilliard. Shortly after there, he uh, led his own little chamber orchestra and was just kind of kicking ass ever since. Uh, his first film score was actually Citizen Kane oh, in 1941. Shit. That's, a, that's uh, his first one? That was his first film score. Welcome to the fucking yeah, world, dude. so... Who believed in him? Who hired him for that? That's awesome. Well, he worked with Orson Welles on his radio show. Oh, yeah. nepotism, well, yes. I mean, <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I get it, no. But yeah, that's really cool. Um... A, this man is a great composer in general. Uh, he also championed a lot of, like, lesser-known composers, like, contemporaries, and also, like, I believe he was, like, one of the first people to really, like, bring Ives to, like, public knowledge, oh, for a lot of his music. A lot of other sort of, like, more experimental composers yeah. he uh, brought a lot of attention to. So, might need to do an episode on this guy, too, because there's actually Jeez. a lot here. Uh, so, we're going to go real narrow with this. All right, all right. Uh, but he's really cool. I think he, um, in my opinion, he's sort of, one of the first modern film composers okay. in a lot of ways. And I mean that in, especially if we're looking at horror movies, uh, we'd have sort of like the silent era, which would be more like if once they actually could add music, it'd be more like piano, just yeah. kind of playing shit along to it. Um, when you get into sort of the black and white era of horror, they mostly used pre-existing pieces, like just old, like sort of romantic pieces. Um, actually, I think uh, Dracula and the Mummy, for instance, uh, it's both had the same exact theme. I forget what it was. It's in some, like, Schubert piece or something like that. Okay. Um, so it was definitely more background noises. Uh, Herman really uh, focused on the movie itself and 
thematic ideas mm-hmm. that More related. Yeah. Well, that that related to the themes in the movies, gotcha. especially with Hitchcock. He did a lot of that. He was also interesting in that uh, I believe he was the first person to really write for a film in that he would have sort of, for instance, one uh, soundtrack had like nine harps in it. <laughs> and, you know, so he wasn't like writing in the sense of having to perform this stuff live ever. It yeah, was all yeah. like in a studio for that. So there is definitely like a pre and post Hermon era. And you'll hear his influence in like Danny Elfman a lot, especially. But, you know, even like John Williams and our favorite Hans Zimmer. Yeah. <laughs> hey, can we do a whole episode on him someday? Oh, we will. Oh, okay. uh, we will. All right. So the three films that we are going to listen to a bit of. The first one is 1958's Vertigo. So here is the prelude. That's fucking gangster. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you've seen this movie. Nope. Um, I actually don't want to give too much away because you should definitely watch it. Uh, right. But it takes place in San Francisco. And it's sort of a thriller about this man trying to figure. So he sort of has amnesia and vertigo. And he's trying to figure some stuff out. Um, and they play this open the opening scene, uh, credit scenes. And I, I can just kind of hear this like sort of like misty, like foggy Bay Area kind of thing. Yeah. It's like so much personality. And they kind of come in and out a lot too yeah 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 lots of dipping lots of ducking mm-hmm. and i want to say like i really love the texture he gets um mm-hmm. uh when he gets to like the dipping part between the harp and i think the celeste yeah yeah just those two instruments going down this uh like e flat minor major seven arpeggio yeah thing. yeah yeah so that's super gangster i mean that sound too like that little arpeggio you're talking about i mean that's so cliche now that we hear I that know. kind of thing but like but even listening to it now, like, if I heard this now, I would still be like, this is good. Yeah, I mean, I think of Vertigo, you know, that yeah, whole yeah. concert. Like, he really uh, made that. You could, yeah, like, he, he, re- <laughs> he, he reified it, if you were, if you will. Whoa. Yeah, no, so, uh, like you said, it's like, re- this is, like, the cliche now, now is to do stuff yeah. like that. But, like, even so, it works as its own piece of music, which a lot of film music mm-hmm. today or for the last however many years doesn't work just listening to it. I don't care how many fuckers tell me otherwise. <laughs> it doesn't work. I love those, like, chords that come in, too. Like, yeah, the, the first bass fat. Like, but yeah, they're yeah, all, yeah, like, yeah. 
they're all kind of unique in their own texture and yeah, feeling. Yeah. And then it's all the weird stuff. And then it builds into that kind of like low romantic yeah, kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah. It goes to, and then like they subvert it right after that. So they go to like this A flat uh, Lydian thing with like a D in the low trombones. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's super good. Then the result of the A minor nine, <laughs> disgusting. Voice uh, leading will get you anywhere. Also, just what I was talking about earlier um, when he, we were, like I said, he really like worked with the film itself. Um, at the very beginning, there's like this little horn motif that's like kind of just these two yeah, notes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was him sort of transcribing the foghorns from the Golden Gate Bridge, oh. which at the very peak of the movie, at the very end. They're at you, by the Golden Gate Bridge, and those two horn parts play from the fog, like the actual foghorn parts play. That's so badass. I know. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. Dude, that's fucking awesome. Go see that movie because it's awesome and awesome. The whole soundtrack's cool. Okay. Um, I'm down. So, also outside of that, uh, his next film that he did with Hitchcock was 1959's North by Northwest. Oh, yes. So, this is more on the. It's my favorite music festival. <sighs> well, actually, apparently it was a play on South by Southwest. Really? Yeah. All right. Apparently. Or <laughs> um, he's inspired by that name for some uh, dumb reason. That's embarrassing. I um, uh, this is more of a thriller. And so this is a little different than what we just listened to. Yeah. A little more upbeat. But it's pretty cool. We're going to check this out. So I think this one's a little maybe simpler in scope. Yeah, uh, it's not as ambitious, probably. But yeah. it's badass. Yeah, 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 <laughs> it's yeah, yeah. I love what I love about it, especially is like all these little themes he fits in there that mm-hmm. it happens so quick. Like yeah, all yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, I'm also thinking about you know back in the day where you would have these cool opening title sequences and like the fact that he could make this over that is really cool. You sit down in the audience and the movie starts yeah and this one's like a busy like sort of new york kind of everyone's bustling around thing and it really sets the anxiety and <laughs> totally yeah yeah it's like a kind of like an overture to uh, an opera of some sort or yes, like a, yes uh, yes no it, sound, it sounds really good yeah it's and, cool it's just a cool piece yeah. um yeah like i said this one's more of a thriller he kind of sticks a little more percussive yeah very energetic. quick yeah, yeah uh, i definitely hear some bernstein influence in there yeah, yeah. for sure for sure so yeah um, it's really cool it's cool cool very very competently written mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes. also had those uh hans zimmer snares think, oh yes he, uh, yeah, yeah was listening to old hansy when he got the idea of course yeah, yeah. yeah. god how much are we gonna shit on that guy this episode <laughs> <laughs> it's so easy to do it's <laughs> so easy all right all right all right and the third movie in this trilogy Probably, yeah, definitely his most famous score, 1960s Psycho. Yeah. 
So I was reading a little background on this, and I didn't actually know this. Um, apparently, Hitchcock wanted a jazz score for this. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was Thank basically like, nope, <laughs> we're Thank not doing that. God. Um, so this movie was produced on a very, very low budget. Like, much lower than the previous two films, which is weird because they were also, like, successes. Yeah. Um, so, A, he did not have as much access to, like, musicians as the other ones. And the other weird thing, and I think this was intentional on Hitchcock's part, uh, so Hitchcock filmed this in black and white. And so, I don't know if this is one of those, like, make it work, or I was like, oh, I had this idea the whole time, but apparently Bernard Herman was like... Well, I got this low budget. I can't afford that many instruments. I'm just going to be using a string section for this whole thing to have the sort of black and white musical texture yeah. of just one family of instruments. Mm-hmm. Uh, this move, uh, this whole, I really struggled figuring what to pick on this, and I'm just going to go with the most famous one. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. but I will point out the entire uh, score uh, up until this point, the uh, strings play um, plucking. Pizzicato. Thank you, Pizzicato. (laughs) The entire score is basically Pizzicato on the strings the whole time. Very muted. uh, Mm -hmm. And again, these sort of themes of the movie. The whole movie is very uh, sort of linear kind of visually. Very just like a lot of straight lines everywhere. And then you got these very just like boom, boom, boom stuff going on. Until the famous shower scene. Which is the first time you hear the strings actually pick up their bows. And you get this. So especially by today's standards, it's kind of a silly piece of music. Um, I mean, there's definitely, like, cool shit in there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, is it silly for that time, though? No, that's what I'm saying. This time, well, I... It's the same thing we were saying before. Like, it's cliche now. Exactly. I mean, like, like, there's not much to that. No. Right. Very intervallic. Exactly. Um, But no, I mean, that's what I was saying, too. Like, he really was working with the music. Like, before this, in movies, they weren't really using music to like bring effects and that sense yeah. is background kind of mm-hmm. stuff um like some reviewer quoted they're like 33 percent of the suspense in psycho is from these from the soundtrack like easy and especially when you get to that scene where she's getting like murdered in the shower which yeah. on its own is like pretty fucking crazy for 1962 yeah. like the blood go everywhere that chocolate um, syrup dude um, but imagine the whole like we said sort of very muted the whole first half of the movie not a lot happens you're just kind of following this woman driving along and then you get to that scene and just all of a sudden yeah, yeah, like, yeah. and yeah that's obviously like such cliche thing now but we still know exactly what that is whenever yeah. we hear it and i bet you they knew instantly too yeah what that meant exactly and, and that's really hard to do from that perspective like, exactly. it's really hard to like, put that kind of image into someone's mm-hmm. brain with music yeah apparently some people didn't believe that that wasn't like some weird sound effect thing they didn't believe that it was just uh the strings doing that mm. whole part um, interesting so 
BH, my man, Bernard. What Herman. a guy. Badass. Listen to everything he did. He's done so <laughs> many. I mean, it's just, again, one of the most influential composers and film composers. In a lot especially. of facets, too, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, all, you know, you hear his music in, like, Tarantino films. Like, Danny Elfman yeah. did a lot with his stuff. Like, just cool, cool film music. Yeah, that's really rad. All right. Let's move on to some more spooky music. Oh, God. Nothing spooky about my guy. Mm. Except how the fuck can he play this that's shit? Because right, that's dude. fucking scary. Yeah, man. I woke up like cold sweat one night, <laughs> like having a nightmare. It's like I'm not Art Tatum. I was like, oh, shit. That's my life. Uh, so I'm talking about Art Tatum, who is this guy. Say hello. He's awesome. He if is, you're just listening to us at home, you probably don't know, but Jake po- posted a picture po- up of Art Tatum behind him, and he right. pointed to that one. Oh, yeah. People, that. Yeah. So we have a YouTube channel, too. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> Art Tatum is. Uh, to say it like politely, one of the best jazz pianists who ever lived. Um, in my opinion, the best, possibly most innovative for his time period, like ever, as far as jazz goes, like he was fucking insane in every facet of his playing. Everything he did was perfect, well-conceived, detail-oriented, virtuosic, complex, and at the same time, just very calming and like everything is just right about it. I don't know how to put it. Uh, so we're just going to start out by showcasing how much of a super badass gangster he is. And we're going to play some Tiger Rag. Nope, just the beginning here. I think the person who remastered this 
inverted the d hiss and, <laughs> yeah. and actually added yeah. more hiss to this recording yeah I don't know how, that was like pretty gnarly i apologize to our listeners at home this recording's ancient i think it's like the 20s yeah, I think yeah. So, yeah it's you know he they basically like pointed a can at the piano and just fucking. <laughs> doesn't matter though fucking it, badass it's absolutely incredible in every facet and what i was telling him to those that are watching our youtube video is like that section right towards the end where he's doing these big right hand lines and he's like going really fast with his left hand uh, in his left hand, there's very subtle voice leading motion. It's like, like it's, it's so difficult to do calmly and everything he played in that whole recording is just amazing. He's, I mean, like the physicality of that obviously is insane. And he's like mostly blind too, right? Yeah. So I'll, I'll start talking about that. Yeah. Uh, okay. But like, but like the, <laughs> the, the sheer physicality, but like, but also like the emotion of it. Yeah, like it's so yeah. calm mm-hmm. and it's so wonderful. So, Let's talk a little bit about our Tatum. Let me pull up my notes here. Mr. Tatum. More yeah. like fart gatum, am I right? I'm out of here, dude. You can <laughs> you can talk about our Tatum yourself. No. So uh, um he's good. <laughs> <laughs> so no, uh our Tatum, born 1909, mostly blind cataracts. He had surgery at a young age to He's counter one of those jazz cataracts. Oh, is what he? A, God, who oh, fuck man. are you? Get out of this episode. So uh, he was, <laughs> yeah, he had cataracts. He had surgery for those cataracts, which apparently was a thing back then. I didn't know that uh, to counteract his cataracts. <laughs> I didn't even intend that. All right. So uh, after that, though, he was assaulted and hit over the head uh, right on his good eye. And then is now mostly blind in that eye and was completely blind in the other one. So fuck that surgery, right? So anyway, yeah, he, uh, you know, played at a bunch of bars and shit for a long time. Eventually went on a radio program, uh, got his own slot on, after winning like an audition of some sort at like 16. And did like a radio program for a few years. Eventually got picked up into kind of like the nightclub circuit around where he was from, Toledo, Ohio. And uh, basically, he just got so insanely good so fast that people just started really noticing him. Like, Art, you know, there's this quote by Fats Waller that's uh, he walks, you know, Art Tatum walks into a bar and Fats Waller's playing, who Fats Waller, if you don't know, is an incredible stride pianist in his own right and like composer, wonderful at everything, dude. Art Tatum walks in, he's like, Fats Waller stops playing, he's like, ladies and gentlemen, I play the piano, but God just walked into the house. Fats Waller, more like Fats Baylor. This is so sad. <laughs> <laughs> You're ruining my, like, ruining my episode. So yeah, basically, like I already said, Art Tatum way, way ahead of his time harmonically. Like, I think that recording is 29, maybe 28, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Like, I know, like, because you can hear him do similar, th- like, same things in different recordings. Yeah, um, which we will, yeah. Uh, but, like, still, these substitutions, he's, like, how, like, he's one of those people that I'm just like, how did you come up with this? Yeah, so, again, kind of like the Bernard kind of yeah, yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's kind of, it's, it, you hear that kind of thing now, but this is the beginning of right, doing this in jazz. Right. Like, you can hear his playing in every pianist that comes after him. Mm-hmm. And I'll get into that later. But the substitutions he's doing in 1929 are fucking unheard of in jazz yes. at that point. Yeah. And that's like, it mystifies me. That's like the kind of stuff I want to know, like, and whatever genre, not even like complex substitutions, but just someone who like, like Robert Johnson, for instance, is a good example. It's like, like you can kind of like see what was happening before, but like to the way he could like play blues was yeah. sort of something new. And I wonder, 
Are they all selling their soul to the devil? I don't. I know, dude. Yeah. Like <laughs> it's the, weird. Cro- the crossroad blues, dude. It's weird, dude. Like I don't know. He's very complex shit. Yeah, like, and um, I mean, obviously, he practiced like an insane person. Pretty much self-taught. He uh, he had some lessons here and there with good people, but like the majority of his upbringing was self-taught. You know, he grew up somewhat poor. And he just fucking sat down at the piano, like, shit zillion hours a day, went to town. He actually uh, often, because his ear was so sensitive for this kind of thing, he would get, make his mom tune the piano, like, once a month. Really? Like, wow. once every few weeks, because he was like, I can't, I can't do it, right? Because he couldn't barely hear. Give his ears a break, would you please? Or he couldn't barely see. <laughs> give his, ear, give his wow. ears a break. Wow. <laughs> so, our Tatum's so badass. Another interesting facet of his playing is that he didn't often play with groups because he was so fucking good. Would you want to sit in with that guy? <laughs> no, dude, are you serious? How would I play drums with that? He's playing drums, bass, yeah. like all the comping and oh. the melody at the same time. Oh, man. He's so good. But this next example I have is of him playing with a group, and you can kind of see why he doesn't do it. It's kind of hilarious. So we're going to play a song called I've Got My Love to Keep Me Warm. Fire it up. like pick one thing to listen to yeah, yeah. Tatum or the rest of the band <laughs> it's like why is everyone else even there dude I'm sure like that clarinet player who he intruded upon during his awesome fills like eight times was like what the fuck man yeah. I'd be so- pissed bro <laughs> but on the other hand I'm sure he's playing stuff better than that. <laughs> yeah. yeah so basically our Tatum doesn't play with groups because he's too fucking good it's just i mean it's actually like if you do sit there and try to listen to it all and like kind of take it all in it's it's too weird. much weird it's yeah. weird it, yeah. it, it like doesn't work for me Mm-mm. and Mm-mm. that's fine because he has a wealth of solo recordings to work with. Yes. So Art Tatum was so good. People like Vladimir Horvitz, Arthur Rubinstein, Sergei Rachmaninoff, to name a few, were all obsessed with him. They would like go to his shows and shit. George Gershwin was a regular at his concerts. Vladimir Horvitz loved him so much that Vladimir Horvitz tried to arrange tea for two for himself. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Art, he made Art Tatum come listen to it. And like Arta- he was just begging for Artatum's approval, and Artatum said, "It is a very complex and somewhat lovely arrangement." Oh, burn! <laughs> no, I mean, no. Vladimir took it well. He loved it. Okay. He's like, "Oh my god, that means so much!" Because you know, Vladimir Horowitz is one of the best pianists of all yeah, time. Sure. Um, and like, just like for some, to win admiration of all these insane piano players at the time for jazz, which I. I don't actually know this, but I feel like was not as respected in the oh, classical piano circuit. Hell no. I assume. Hell no. Yeah. So. Still not. <laughs> it's still not. Yeah, exactly. So 
he was winning this respect just because of his sheer virtuosity. But like, that doesn't really paint the whole picture for me. He was just so good at every musical aspect of himself. He has such a huge identity. Uh, there are critics of him, which what? pisses me off. But, uh, there are actually quite a few, as it turns out. People like at the time? Yes, at the time. That yeah. makes more sense. No, yeah, not now. No, everyone fucking loves him now. But at the time, people were like, his playing is too uh, ornamented, verbose, uh, aggressive, which are all things you could probably attribute to him. But like... But it's badass. But it's badass, and that's literally his artistic choice. And it works. Fuck everyone. So our Tatum was good at everything. He um, had a bunch of fast-ass playing, right? Could do everything. But I feel like what you lose sometimes with our Tatum is just his sheer sensitivity and his use of, like, harmony to depict certain, like, uh, emotions or, like, just... It's like taking a walk in the park listening to some of his stuff. So on that note, I'm going to make you listen to a recording of It Had to Be You. And we're going to listen to the whole fucking thing because every second of it is amazing. Bro, it's like over two minutes. I don't want to listen to this whole thing. Get over it, weenie. fucking asshole I fuck know. this guy I know. <laughs> it's not fair dude it's really not i mean it's you know it's like oh, almost 100 years old now and like how many people can actually really play like him i mean honestly no one like i know you could sit down and learn how to play his piece but like to actually be able to do play that. it like that and, and yeah. yeah to play it with every single every single note is so much intention <sighs> 
Like some of those licks were like really fast, but like the fastness is almost like secondary to what he's playing. Mm -hmm. There's this one lick in there that is just like, it makes me like feel so like sad and relaxed at the same time. It's like, and it goes to the minor right there. I'm just like, oh my God, everything he plays is so good. He's the best jazz pianist who ever lived right here. Heard it from me. Yeah. Yeah. Can you, can you disagree with me? What about Jake Seeley? Oh God, no, dude. I am so bad. No, uh, Jake Seeley. Don't do it. No, no, no. (laughs) I hate your guts. Okay. So basically on a closing note for our Tatum, you can hear, you can hear his, like his voice, so to speak in like every jazz pianist who came after him. Oh yeah. Can Oscar Peterson does not exist without Tatum. Oh no. I mean, Oscar Peterson's also great and like yes I wouldn't say he's a clone but like no 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 but like yeah <laughs> yeah Oscar Peterson is a result of our Tatum oh this little like that like Monk always did yeah I like yep, that yep. yeah Bill Evans yeah result of our Tatum <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have one more on here because I forgot it. <laughs> oh shit Bud Powell result oh, yeah, of our yeah, yeah, yeah result yeah. of our Tatum yeah everyone's yeah. a result of our Tatum and those are like the big three dudes right mm-hmm. like well fuck. I think I you know maybe I don't know if you can come across this but I remember hearing too like. Charlie Parker was like washing dishes to like go listen to Art Tatum play yep, at these yep. bars and shit. So it's like not even piano. It's like jazz yeah. musician. Kind Everyone, of. dude, yeah. not even jazz, dude. George Gershwin. <laughs> not even. <laughs> well, I guess George Gershwin is jazz, but like, no. uh, but like fucking, you know, Arthur Rubenstein. Like everyone came to hear Art Tatum play, dude. He was a, he was a G. And then um, he drank a shitload of alcohol and uh, and died at 47. <laughs> It's pretty jazz if I ever heard it. Pretty much, man. That's like the, that's the Art Tatum, more like Art drank him into the grave. I might end this episode now. <laughs> <laughs> are people like can- so like? There's like this cancel culture thing. Are we getting canceled because your jokes are bad? Like, <laughs> ah, god damn it. Uh, so you want to transition smoothly into some rants of the week? Yeah. But before you say that, actually, sorry, I interrupt you one more time. Uh, this was the second episode in a series called Music We Like. That is true. And, um, if you want to go hear the first one, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, YouTube. And, uh, like us on Facebook, we post all our listening of the week, and, uh, we might start a Spotify playlist with all the shit we put on there. We just might. We just might. Anyway, so, uh, you got any rants for us, Matt Williams? No. Yeah, me neither. I was going to rant about your jokes, but like... Why? They're so good. Okay, so I'm going to rant about Matt Williams for a second. Oh, here we go. (laughs) This whole episode has been tormented (laughs) by the worst, most, like, subhuman jokes I've ever heard in my life. And I've listened to Dane Cook. Anyway, that's my whole rant. Uh, What you been listening to? <laughs> Dane Cook, don't you know? Oh, no! <laughs> Actually, um, in preparation for this episode, I was going back and going over our first music we like episode, mm. and I really remembered how much of badass Andrew Hill is. Oh yeah, also influenced by Art Tatum. Yep, uh, dude, everyone. So I went back and listened to his Compulsion album, which I played one song off yeah. of when we did that episode. But God, it's such a cool album. It's it so is. like yeah. rhythmic and Hit. fierce and aggressive burp <laughs> anyway talk about ruining podcasts yeah that's fair anyway uh <laughs> i've been listening to also in preparation for this album i was listening to the pedrito martinez group uh basically it's some more salsa super uh 
badass. I think it's like 2008 or so. And uh, the pianist on it, I don't remember her name, but she is insane. The production value is like, I want to say atrocious. Uh, Did they also invert the D hisser? <laughs> I mean, kind of. This sounds like 10 years ago or something. It sounds like ass. Like, the piano is like, she's amazing, and she's buried for like the entire album, and it's so sad. But it doesn't matter because it's still amazing. Go listen to it. Uh, the album is self-titled, the Pedrito Martinez group. It's cool. Nice. And with that, I think we are uh, done with our second Music We Like episode. Second Music We Like. 